how long can the five-year-old hold on before they fall off? And whoever, no way. Like, yeah, I swear to God. And whoever holds on the longest is the winner. So they have 10 kids do it. It's crazy. I've never seen anything like that. <laughs> oh, dude. Hello and welcome everybody to another episode of the End Pod. I am part of your co-hosting team, Matt, and we are available on all your favorite listening locations. So if you are watching us on YouTube, that is the End Pod, and it's through Spank Media. So if you put the two together, you should be able to find us on Spotify and wherever else you fancy, SoundCloud and all that kind of stuff. If you are listening to us on one of those locations, then you should find us on YouTube as well, where we also upload original content. And that is the end pod one shots. We have a Twitter and an Instagram, but I'm sure you can find us after that. It's all connected, baby. This is the point of the podcast where I introduce you to my dear friend, nonetheless, one of my best friends, Tim. How are you today, mate? Matt, I am awesome. It's nice to talk to you. It's been a minute because I was out of town, but I'm doing great. How are you doing? Uh, well, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm a little bit lit, mate. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> I, took, I took my phone to get fixed because I didn't know how long it would take at 12 in the afternoon BST. That is British summertime. And I thought to myself, I could, you know, go for a coffee and a muffin and have some breakfast pudding at that time, or I can go for an early afternoon beverage. Yeah, yeah. I <laughs> say to... which one you chose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that just makes everything a bit more exciting, doesn't it? And... <laughs> yeah, I love it. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, I went to this Belgian place and i was speaking to one of the they just have like a, a conveyor belt of extremely attractive young ladies sure, that work there i mean i'm an older gentleman i accept that those days are long past me but it doesn't mean you can't you know game you recognizes game game recognizes yeah. game right, <laughs> that's right, that's right. <laughs> um but i i'd like to consider one or two of them friends if not um at least across the bar, friends, and we because of all the UFO stuff that's been going on. Oh yeah, that's very it's, interesting. It's fucking crazy because it's almost as if we've been talking about it for so long that when they came out and said it, it was like, "Have we recovered alien craft?" And he went, "Yep." Was there anything in the craft? Yep. Was it living? Yep. Was it an alien? Yep. And then everyone's like. Yeah, I think we've already covered this, to be honest with you. (laughs) (laughs) It should have been, like, world-changing. Like, literally, like, the world stopped spinning for a split second because everybody is in so much shock. It kind of has cool implications for, like, the simulation hypothesis. Have you followed the simulation hypothesis? Well, here's the thing, though, mate. I have been... These are two of my favourite things ever, and I've always struggled to reconcile the um, simulation hypothesis and UFOs. And the only thing that I could think of was it's like an Agent Smith. There's a glitch in the Matrix and they are almost the engineers. Plus, we don't Mm -hmm. really know. I mean, I've been kind of high on ChatGTP for a couple of days this week. 
let's say that's the matrix in the matrix, the dream within a dream in sort of an yep, inception. Yep. Who's to say it isn't just put in there by the program as something to keep us busy? Do you know what I mean? Totally. Yeah. <sighs> I just love all that sort of shit. Oh, me too. I always figured, okay, if we are just Sims, basically, that would explain why the Fermi paradox is paradoxical. Because maybe it's just the computing power is not, whatever the base reality is, their computing power mm. is not big enough to actually have aliens visit us, you know, that kind of thing. It's like, you would think that on balance, because of the, just the numbers, like, there would be intelligent life forms that could travel. And we would observe those or at least have some connection with them. But the fact that we hadn't until allegedly this past couple of weeks, the simulation hypothesis would explain that. But now it's kind of interesting. Have you done much reading on quantum computers? Not really. Me neither. I've listened to a few podcasts on it with it, you know, being elementarily yeah. explained and the exponential growth of processing power is mind blowing. Like you can't, totally. in the same way that you can't conceptualize the galaxy, let alone the universe, let alone mm -hmm. a multiverse, the computing power is just numbers far beyond my capacity of visualization or, or i'd imagine like even human visualization yeah yeah very interesting stuff we should do a but, whole show on that oh, <laughs> mate, mate, yeah maybe we should take another left turn and we just do like did you see the brazilian town in the early noughties there's like you a, told me about this you told me about it about oh dude yeah yeah like it's either the biggest hoax and carefully constructed hoax and the most obedient hoax ever or there was a crash and there were aliens just walking around this small brazilian town yeah. and the bit that sent shivers down my spine which kind of re relates back to the uh, the simulation theory okay. right yeah. hypothesis yeah. right is one of them was really hurt and it just found its way into this thing of these two young girls brazilian girls and they found their way in there and it was communicating with them telepathically and said, hurt, scared, hurt, scared. And one of the first responders was not, because it was swamped by the army almost immediately. And he carried the thing into a hospital in his arms. And the guy died with like this bacterial poisoning that is not known on this planet. I mean, this is all me just watching one documentary and, and whatever, but like everybody in this town has a perfect recollection of it this documentary maker was speaking to a lot of people who were either too scared to talk or perfectly recalling the same thing. And then when they had the alien, one of the doctors said that the only thing telepathically heard the alien say was, I feel sorry for you. You don't know what you are. And that, that sent shivers down my, even saying it now, I'm like, shit, because it's not that I don't believe in evolution, but I don't believe in, I don't think survival of the fittest is actually accurate because there's been like five clear genetic leaps beyond all kinds of things. So the genetic blueprint is almost made up of a computing code, whereas in binary... Yeah, I, I saw something of, about that. Well, it's yeah. zeros and ones, whereas, yeah. whereas the, genetic, the genetic code is made up of A, U, G, and C. So all you're doing is adding like a factorial expansion by having four things other than two. I listened to something this week that said, basically, survival of the fittest works when it's an extension of existing trait. So like when, uh, I almost said Dickens. 
Dickens. <laughs> yeah, when he wrote Martin Chuzzlewick. Pickwick <laughs> <laughs> Papers. Darwin, yeah. <laughs> when Darwin was at the Galapagos Islands and he was noticing the difference in beak sizes to be able to extract insects from deeper trees with deeper barks and all that kind of shit. And some felines had smaller tails and some had no tails. The, the specific podcast that I was listening to, by a guy with like a doctorate in fucking whatever science he was in. So this isn't just hypothesis. They said that even with like binary zeros and ones, if you randomly put that code through 20 steps, it becomes completely unstable and it eradicates itself. With two more levels of factorial sophistication on the genetic blueprint, you wouldn't be able to do five random alterations before it became unstable and collapsed. It just intrigues me. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't believe in like God with a big G, but I think there's just there's something fascinating and has this ethereal elegance when you look at the expanse of the universe and also like when you get down to the subatomic stuff as well it's just fucking wild how the patterns on the biggest scale and the smallest scale they kind of look almost coincidental this perfect like the golden ratio which you can observe in galaxies or even individual flowers you know crazy and the amount of times that pi the number it's not just a circumference divided by diameter it appears in so many instances in natural life yeah it just fascinates me there's an elegance and a beauty in that whereby i think there is while not a conscious design i think there is intelligent design in there there is a process of creation that i would consider to be like god with a little g if you know what i mean yeah yeah have you ever had a matrix moment i don't know what do you mean by that tim well, let me explain, because I had one yesterday. So okay. I, so let me tell you about it. My daughter, she's seven. She was at Girl Scout camp for the whole week. So my wife went to pick her up, an hour and a half drive there, pick her up, load her ship up and drive back, right? So Amy, my wife, Amy, went to pick Ellie, my daughter, up um, down at this camp. Now, I picked my son up, Harry, he's four, at just daycare. The pickup time was at 5.30. And I usually pick my son up at 5.30 from daycare. So we're just driving home. It's like 5.45. Okay. And we pull into our road and I swear to fucking God, I saw my garage door closing. I observed it for like a second or two. Mm. And so I'm like, holy shit, they're home somehow really fast. So like we pull in the driveway, I get my, I'm like, Harry, Harry, Ellie's home. He's like, oh, my Ellie, you know, he's like Mr. And stuff. So we yeah, rush into the house yeah. and it's fucking empty. That's and the scary. only thing. And I was like, no, 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 dude. I, so I, I opened the garage door, like from the inside, like expecting to see the car in there and there's nothing there. And it's like, no, that I, I would have bet my house on the fact that they were in the garage. Like, cause I saw yeah. the fucking thing closing yeah, and it was yeah. just like, it was a complete, it was a nothing burger. Like it was my imagination or a matrix glitch, but something Whoa. like, I swear I would have bet like literally my house on the fact that they were home. I was being surprised because they weren't supposed to be home for like another hour. I was like, holy mm. shit, they're home. And it was just like, nope, they were not. Nothing was there. It was just my fucking imagination. How cocky is it, though? I've always thought this, that not only are we in a simulation, but they didn't just make a film. They made my favorite film of all time, The Matrix, in the simulation. Like, yeah. how much of a piss take <laughs> is that? How much of a fucking piss take? Like, that is, that is, uh, it's so, like, overconfident that I'm like, well, surely not. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. The evidence to the contrary is the evidence. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, like the, just the route, like we're talking about quantum computing, just the rapid development of technology. Mm -hmm. The fact that this is happening at a rate in the last like five years that is really unprecedented in human history is very strong evidence for the SIM hypothesis. Um, I don't, and also though, aliens, mate, if it was aliens, then like mining a craft for technology. Have you heard of a guy called Bob Lazar? I don't think so. Oh, uh, he is like, he came around in the 80s and he has been... So the story is when they found, well, the first part of it, which is in retrospective information, the first alien craft that they, and I'm doing air quotes for the listeners, found yeah. was in an archaeological dig in Egypt. And it was recovered and taken back to America. Now, in the modern age, in our lifetime's frame of reference, the whole Area 52 thing. Mm -hmm. Now, this Bob Lazar guy gets a phone call because he is an expert in propulsion. He gets taken into the like Area 52 and he is shown this craft, find out how it works. Now, apparently, there was six or seven different things, like there was um, biochemists and all things like that. Everything was completely compartmentalized. He's been doing talk shows and not podcasts, but you know, like unsolved mysteries and that sort of wacky shit in the in the day. It was fantastical. It was conspiratorial. But he's come into more prevalence again recently. Like either this guy works on Area Fifty Two, and he worked on an alien spaceship, or this is the best hoax ever created by man. He's done mm. what are they called? Is it sten? Not stenographs. What is it? Lie detector tests called? Stenography. I think he's passed a number of those the only thing with that is it's not whether it's not whether you're telling the truth it's whether you believe what you're saying isn't it yeah right right but yeah this guy his account of um gravity engines that um work on not physical distance travel that they basically fold the universe on top of itself and then you just move into that forward as it unfolds it is wild and when you listen to it it sends shivers down your fucking spine it's not just the first-hand experience that he's explaining, but it's the accuracy and the nuance in which he can explain things. Here's the thing. Think of it, like, getting sort of back on topic. We're going to talk about a film today. And you could, I could ask you any question about the film and you'd be able to answer it. Mm -hmm. That is with the confidence and the knowledge that he explains his experience. The thing about lying is you can't tell the same lie for 20 years but he is 100% spot on with every single detail in every wow. single interview. I love that shit, dude. Uh, should we get on with the actual episode? That Let me tell you one other thing. You know, listeners don't know, but you know that I was at in Wyoming last week for this yeah, thing called yeah. Frontier Days. So we went to the, among other things, we went to a show. We, there's like a carnival and we went to a rodeo, okay? In this huge stadium. I've never seen anything like yeah. it. I've like seen rodeo before, like on TV, you flipping through the channels, tune in for like five minutes to see what the fuck. I'd never seen this before, but they had this thing called mutton busting, which I doubt you'd heard of because, and I've never heard of it, no, I've but never it's heard this, of it. yeah, it's called mutton busting. They take these sheep. Okay. And they take kids, five-year-olds, four or five-year-olds, stick them on top of the sheep. They hold onto the sheep's fur. Then the guy like cowboy slaps the sheep's ass and then the fucking goes down like the ring. And how long can the five-year-old hold on before they fall off? And whoever, no way. Like, yeah, I swear to God. And whoever holds on the longest is the winner. 
So they help 10 kids do it. It's crazy. I'd never seen anything like it. I wouldn't put my kid on a tricycle without a helmet. These kids are on with like <laughs> fucking cowboy hats, little cowboy hats, you know? It's so weird. Wow. What a wow. weird plan. What a weird world. What a weird sim. <laughs> oh, anyway, so I wanted to tell you that before I forgot. It was very unexpected and so bizarre. But it's kind of like um, the modern pentathlon whereby you have to do show jumping, cross-country run with shooting, swimming. And the thing is, they get paired with a horse at the beginning of it. Now, some of these horses are cunts. Like, they are not nice horses. <laughs> so there was this German lady going for the win, and her horse would not go over any of the fences. It was like show jumping. It fucked her up, crying on the horse, like as it was going over the last few fucking jumps. But I mean, England won the gold, so well, Great Britain did. So fucking nice one, horsey. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Sea Biscuit. Do you know what I mean? But... <laughs> yeah. So wow, so you get paired with a horse, you don't get your own horse. No, no, it's because that's the whole thing. But you would think, though, if you're getting like 20, 25 horses, of you would expect them to be of a certain pedigree. How would oh, you? Right. How would you ever have like an obnoxious horse in a? In that circumstance, you would think they were the mutts de la nuts of all horses. Totally. Yeah, yeah. You know I mean, yeah. like, we're Juicy. talking like Mr. Ed, fucking Seabiscuit, <laughs> Beta Ray Bill. Like, there's no, okay, there's yeah. no chances. <laughs> there is no chances taken on this. <laughs> oh, my God. If I had a racehorse, I'd totally name it Beta Ray Bill. <laughs> or Gatorade Jill. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh god uh so <laughs> should we have a little catch up on what we've been watching because we've done the watching for a few episodes but we've not actually done the episodes have we so yeah 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 what do yeah. you want to start with uh transformers <laughs> okay transformers sucks. worst film it's... ever oh my god dude. <clears throat> as you know I'm known around here as the trash man because I will like watch and mostly like almost anything. That movie fucking blows. So and it has dude. like some star power. Like what's his face? Pete Davidson's in it. Horrible voice acting. Like he doesn't act in the movie. It's just him doing his shtick in a Transformers body. It, oh, dude. Those movies. I remember when I saw the first one being so excited for it. Cause you know, that's a property from like when we were growing up that I was really excited for. It's never been rendered outside of just like animation, you know? So when the first live action came out, this is ages ago now like 15 years ago mm. i was so excited and i and i remember seeing it being like what is this fucking shit and it really is not improved this one was supposed to be good too it was like somewhat well received relative to the others and it's fucking horrible the only one that's ever been good is the bumblebee one well here's the thing i think people just got sick of michael bay bumblebee was a great film just keep travis knight to do this one whatever yeah. it takes just wait for travis knight to be able to do it but i can't i don't know who directed the most recent one but in the first half an hour i was like wow this reminds me of the the first turtles film live action turtles film it's quite gritty it's got like adversary to mm -hmm. the individual people to their situations there was a really nice setup with the young gentleman that became the protagonist with his life and his military discharge and all that kind of thing okay this seems to be working as soon as the transformers hit Let's say the fault in the most of the Michael Bay films, which I don't agree to because I love Shia LaBeouf and Megan Fox is still. Not anymore. Too much plastic surgery. The first Transformers film. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, I don't know if yeah. this is the Michael Bay over-sexualization, but I'd shake his hand. <laughs> 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 yeah. 
<laughs> in actual fact, that spongy was probably a little bit. It wasn't spongy enough. <laughs> it wasn't soapy enough. That was like I remember that. I saw. Oh, that. I was like, what is happening right now? Like, Jesus. Oh, dude. But I actually quite like the human characters. However, to popular opinion, the human characters momentarily were the only good thing about this. Unfortunately, there was nothing good about this by the end of it. Yeah, it was very bad. And it just became another stupid MacGuffin hunt. Yep. There's been a problem with these from the beginning that it's just very difficult to... The fight scenes are extremely hard to follow. They're very muddled. You can't tell who's who, what the fuck is happening. Mm -hmm. And it might be just because, I don't know, like you're not used to seeing like obviously robots fight. Your brain can piece together what's happening in an actual fight between people because you're familiar with watching people. But with the robots, it's very hard to figure out what's going on. It, it's too fucking loud. It's it, And the fight scenes go on for like 20 minutes. When you watch Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 and you see the Adam Warlock introduction, it feels visceral. There's verisimilitude with Nebula's jaw dislocating, with her head being pounded in. When you see yeah. Drax being taken to the cleaners like a mismatch in UFC, you truly knew the force and the might of Adam Warlock. And... While there are some really well-choreographed sequences, say in The Winter Soldier, especially that knife close quarters combat with the knife between Captain and The Winter Soldier, it's very performative. Now, the visceral nature of that scene in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 made me think, oh, okay, give the force of one Transformer to the other. Like, I still feel every fight should be over in a matter of seconds just because of the, the pure brute force. Like, look mm. at a car crash. There's two cars going head-on. They're both completely mm -hmm. fucked, right? It's not believable, despite the fact they have complete free range. What they need to do with Transformers, the best sequence in all the Transformers was the opening sequence to Bumblebee, when they were actually on, what's their world called? Something of Tron, I imagine. It was just Transformers versus Transformers. Just give us one of those films. Look at Spider-Verse. If it's animated, it's animated, but do a good film where yeah, they're yeah. on. Cybertron, isn't it? Cybertron. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, so just give us that film. It's fucked, in it? They've damaged it beyond... I just have no interest in this anymore. Me neither. I don't think I'll see the next one, honestly. Like, No. You know there will be another one, because it probably makes vocals. I don't know how well it did, but... Oh, it didn't make money, mate. I don't think it, it made... Its, I don't think it made its production budget back. It really, yeah, so maybe, really did poorly. Maybe we'll get lucky, and I'll just... I'll just can it just shelf it for a bit and let people forget like the x-men that's you know one thing that marvel have done well and except mm -hmm. for the fact that they keep referencing them like in one <laughs> division and in she hulk and in well deadpool's still around isn't he and that's going to be with hugh jackman and in multiverse of madness so it's like no we need to give it time to breathe but at the same time you're going to be coughing up phlegm <laughs> x-men yeah. <phlegm. laughs> yeah yeah uh, what was the one after that then, Tim? Where where are we after that? Um, uh, Barbenheimer? Have you seen any Barbenheimer? I haven't gotten to Barbenheimer yet. So give me a breakdown of what I haven't listened to the last episode. Well, I haven't heard the last episode because I wasn't here. But what you what were your views on just generally on these two? Um, Barbie's good. It's a little bit pushy with its socio political ideals about the patriarchy and. I, I don't know. I chose to see it that it was a well-balanced film and, yeah, probably too politicised. But it was good. It was a good film. I'd say Oppenheimer is 6 out of 10, Barbie 6 out of 10. Okay, okay. Oh, interesting. So I've only heard, like, raving things about Oppenheimer. Like, people are going bananas for that. 
too fucking long. Yeah, but six to me is very good. Like five is good, six is very good, like seven is excellent, and then like eight, nine, ten goes to magnificent best of all time. Say my scale starts at it's one to seven, and this is a five, yeah. and then we have three left for truly astonishing. And when you look at IMDB, like there's only like 200 films ever made, or maybe like 250 now, that have an above 8.0 rating. If you think of all the films ever made, there's only like 200, maybe 250 above 8.0. And that's the okay. way we should approach approach rating. It's not like 10 or 1. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's too long, mate. The last hour is the postscript of you're losing his military clearance. I know it ties together little subplots throughout the film but i'm like i don't need to watch people sit in a room talk about article 4 clause 3112 you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. but the problem with that as well is it's still got the sound engineering when you're converting feet stomping into the explosion of a bomb great but what you don't need is article 4 if we could direct everybody to article 4 oh. If we look at clause 3.1.12, it was overdone. Despite the fact it being a biopic, it could have been cut at the two-hour mark. In actual fact, I think the first hour had a lot more of the story, you know, the what's it called, the Manhattan Projects. Yeah. And the editing was pristine because it was really choppy. And at the hour mark, wow, this is such a good film. It's really well edited. It's keeping me interested. And then I noticed how quick the edits were and how much information and how quickly I was grasping it. Second hour, far too many stars. Because when you put somebody of a specific level of notoriety into a film, it immediately makes you think they're important. But when you have a mm-hmm. cast of 20 people that could all potentially win Oscars by, by the time they retire, it just becomes a little bit confusing. That's tricky when you have big people in supporting roles for that very reason. Advert for it. The whole trailer was, a, was about the explosion, right? Yeah. You didn't see any of that really in the film because it's all very figuratively and literally from the POV of Oppenheimer. So when it explodes, you're seeing it from his POV. Okay. Get get me to those big plumes of smoke that I saw in the Yeah, yeah, the yeah. So, so yeah, I got really fidgety. The second hour, I was sleepy. That's the litmus test for uh, <laughs> for me. But to yeah. the point whereby I had a reclining seat where your feet are horizontal in front of you. Yeah. And I completely unreclined and I sat forward with my hands on my knees to just stop me going asleep. That's funny, yeah. I stopped using the recline for that reason. You know, we're both busy people with jobs and shit to do. There's a 50% chance risk I'm going to fall asleep even if I'm into something. So I can't even use the recliner anymore. And I especially can't use it if I'm watching a horror movie, because it makes me like, I'm too open. You know what I mean? Like, the too open. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I get too scared. <laughs> All right. My thoughts on Mission Impossible are, I think it's to the point now, setting aside Mission Impossible 2, which I don't particularly like, I think the Mission Impossible movies are now the pinnacle of legacy filmmaking, of long-term property filmmaking, of tentpole filmmaking. It's got mm. everything. The Lawrence, Lawrence of Arabia scene, chases of all kinds, train derailments. Of course, it has Tom Cruise running through a on a roof in a European city. It's got like everything, dude. I love this mm. movie. It's, I mean, there's not much to say about it other than it's. A, I thought it was just a great time. And I found the, the antagonist pretty scary and borderline supernatural in some instances. 
every iteration of this, they find new ways to innovate in action or chase sequence. I thought it was great. It has all the different stuff you'd look for in a fun summer blockbuster. And I thought the villain in this was like pretty great. And the MacGuffin is very interesting, very much in line with what we were discussing earlier about like Sim. It's, it's crazy. Like what is reality? Innovating in a way which these types of movies typically don't. Um, in terms of like not rehashing the same crap over and over again. I thought it was just like a lot of fun. I am with you for half of that, despite the fact I did like the film. I thought it was great. I think it's a spectacle in terms of everything you said. The issue for me, despite the fact I enjoyed the film, Mm -hmm. to a great level, was the villainy. Because when you have AI, it's one of those the film has to happen. As soon as AI becomes malicious, it the film's over. And every single technological... Well, let's face it, everything these days is Bluetooth. Everything is technologically advanced. Your fucking washing machine, your fucking dishwasher, everything is. And also, you can't fight AI. The human antagony was manufactured solely for the purpose of having something to visually yeah, have conflict, to to, to have conflict with. I yeah. thought it was cool. I, I liked the human villain. Like, I get what you're saying about that. But I thought the villain was like, really sinister. I don't know if it was well acted or what made it for me, but like, it was a borderline supernatural element to the villain. And I thought that was cool. It was an interesting anthropomorphizing of an AI, which I thought yeah, was kind yeah. of fun. Yeah. And yeah, the yeah. film needed it. It needed it. You couldn't do the film without that, by the fact I'm being a little bit of a detractor for it. So, Tim, that brings us nicely yeah to the film that we're discussing this week and not how I've been <laughs> naming it all week, Hold My Hand. It is, in fact, Talk To Me. Talk To Me is by two Greek-Australians, Danny Philippou and Michael Philippou. They are, in fact, not only siblings, but they are twins. And in the same way that Chris Struckman has now made his first feature, uh, these guys came from YouTube and they were, mm-hmm. uh, they have a theatrical makeup and a practical effects background and they basically were doing YouTube shorts with a sort of uh, horrific nature to them. Um, this mm-hmm. film was shown at Sundance this year and there was a bidding war. And of course, A24 being A24, snapped it up and put it in the cinema. So I saw a I saw a trailer for this a few months back, and we text each other trailers, don't we? And yeah. I was kind of I sent it with the full gusto of a new A twenty four film, but I thought, does this one kind of look a little bit Blumhouse? I thought to myself, I'm intrigued, and I trust A twenty four, so I believe Tim should know about it. However, <laughs> you know the way that Blumhouse has like a crux, and then it spins its wheels and then a film ends sort of thing. Like you don't know what you get with Blumhouse, whereas A24. So this might look a little bit like that, yeah. but but my goodness. Oh, it should be said as well that this comes from, oh, who did the Babadook? It comes from the same production company that did the Babadook uh, oh, all the okay. way back in 2014. And is it Skydance? I think it's Skydance. And then um, A24 is the distributor on this as opposed to the production company. But Skydance, is that Tom Cruise's uh, company? Is it, is it really? I don't know. I believe I, it is. I, I couldn't tell you. 
I'm gonna look it up. Please do. We'll do just that. Um, no, they just work together on Mission Impossible. It also has Sophie Wilde, who I've not seen in anything else um, mm -hmm. before this, not recognizably anyway, who takes the lead. We have Miranda Otto, who is from The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina fame. And she was fantastic in this. And then an ensemble cast of Australian actors. Well, as we texted yesterday, I had heard that it was going to be kind of a scary type of environment. And <laughs> I was nervous going in. As the showtime was approaching, I was, there are certain movies like, I remember feeling this way about The Evil Dead Rises, a little bit nervous. Yes, it's like, yeah. very scary. There was this beautiful symmetry whereby I was just coming out of the cinema as you were just going into the cinema. Yeah. And yeah. I was like, dude, have you watched it yet? And you went, no, I'm a little bit scared. And I went, it's warranted. <laughs> it was just, <laughs> just warranted, full stop. And then I was just sitting there waiting. I was like counting down two hours until I could ask you about it. I was so <laughs> excited. I was feeling so encouraged. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that this little text exchange happened. So now I'm like more scared because like I'd heard scary, and then you're like basically confirmed my 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 fear of going in. I thought this movie was great, like great. I loved this film. It was very scary. I love movies like this where it's scary, and I love when they don't have known commodities in the acting. Yes, list. like yes. you know, like because that can take you out of it. Sometimes, like, there are points at which I was taken out of the Scream movie. Um, yeah, yeah, I've not because seen of, like, so, Oh, it's very good. But, I mean, there were points... I've not like, seen videos. any of them. No way. You've never seen Scream? Never seen any Scream films, no. Oh, my God, dude. You got to see those. Anyway, we got to... We should do, like, a whole Scream episode where we watch all... Screen all the Screams. But that one, it's got, like, known actors. It can kind of take you out of, like, out of it. The fear is partly in the anonymity of the actors because you never know, like, who's going to eat shit because you don't know. Yeah, yeah, Like, you know, yeah. like, you know, if, like, Courtney Cox is in it, she's not going to die. She's going to be the hero. And so, like, in the Scream movies. So this was great because it had no actors I'd ever seen, but great performances, like, really, really mm -hmm. visceral, raw, nuanced performances. And a conceit that is truly terrifying. I thought it was just great. I loved it from start to finish. I fucking loved it, mate. This is in my top three films of the year, and I don't know what order I'd put them in. I'm not going to say it's my best film, but when I say that out loud, even to the contrary, it excites me. I have not been so enthusiastic since Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Again, another Gen Z film that you're included, you're invited into this world. In a sort of backhanded compliment, I felt Sophia Wilde, the main character, Mia, she was in a Hollywood film but the rest of the characters were almost kind of found footage. It had that mm -hmm. verisimilitude about it. It had, it felt, it was happening. It didn't feel like I was watching a film until the Sophia Wilde thing. However, the backhanded compliment was that she was experiencing something very different to the best. Now, I'm not saying it was intentional, but she had that Hollywood sparkle about the film she was in, where the rest of the characters were very much independent film. And that duplicity between the two was, it just worked so well because it created this clear separation between the focus and the experience of the film. Let's not understate the monkey's paw, the monkey's claw, the Ouija board, the Book of the Dead. This mm -hmm. is a very well-trod trope. This is a very, very well-trod plot vehicle. 
but nothing about this when I was watching it made me feel like I'd seen it before. It was fucking exceptional in execution, in writing. There's so many parts of this where, and this is probably why Evil Dead Rise worked, that it wasn't afraid to flip it, but it did sort of tread a path that's expected of that sort of film. This, again, 90 minutes. Oh my God, thank you, horror films in 2023. Thank you. 90 minutes, Evil Dead Rise again, 90 minutes. This is all it needs. And do you know how I get Wrigley in the seats? Notoriously a nodder of off. Yeah. But I get to the hour mark and I think, oh, I'm just going to nip to the toilet. I don't even need the toilet. I'll just go and have a quick vape in one of the cubicles and then I'll I'll have a sit down wee because, you know, I'm posh. (laughs) (laughs) And then I'll just do it almost for argument's sake. But in this, it got to the hour and I did actually need to go to the lavatory. But I was frightened of missing something of this film. I was frightened of missing a part. This kept me gripped and it's not the jump scares were a minimum they used maybe one or two in the opening exchanges but it wasn't the bump do you know what i mean yeah it was the the camera turns and then it shows you something and you push back in your seat and you grip the armrests oh what this is just i I, i'm just in honestly mate I'm, i'm in revels i'm in rapture about this film me too the thing is, we've said sort of jokingly that we're not a horror film podcast, but it just seems that it seems that when we do one of the tentpoles, and by the way, we were supposed to be doing the Marvels for the podcast, and this was going to be the backup film. It feels that every time it's a horror film, whether it's Infinity Pool, whether it's Evil Dead Rise, whether it's well, God knows what else we've covered in the last... Yeah. And one of our biggest performers, every week, we still have views on our Halloween episode from last year. Every week. It is probably in the top 10 viewed ones. Where I think we did Barbarian, we did Bodies, 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 and we did um, Halloween Ends. That still oh, okay. gets views. It's, it's wild, mate. The creativity in taking such a well-trodden path, and that's in the benefit of, of the cast, in the crew, in the writer, director, sort of partnership of the twins. Wow, this film blew me away. Totally. And I love, I noticed the two that the film, unlike a lot of your conventional or October horror movies, does not in any way depend on the jump scare. Not at all. Not at all. It's not that type of movie. It's very careful. Its point is not so much to scare you. I think its point is deeper. It's like, a meditation yeah, on grief. Yeah. And you can tell this because the first, other than the opening sequence, that probably like three or four minutes long, the first third of the movie is really all about developing the characters and their relationships to one another. Yeah. And yeah. it invites you into this, almost literally a room, but more mm. figuratively a room where you're seeing the kids interact with one another. And it's yeah. there's such a genuine a clarity to it it really is, like you said, it's, there's verisimilitude to the way in which these kids interact with one another. Like you can, yeah. even though it is set in 2023 or whenever it's set, like this is the type, this is the way that we interacted with our friends back in the day. It's like, 100%. you go in a room, you try to avoid the parents, like all sorts of fucking weird shit happens. And there's mm. like, there, there's such a nuance. It felt so real, their interaction with one another. And the first, first third of that film is like building all that up to the point in which they bring out the, the hand. The monkey's yeah, paw, the yeah, Ouija yeah. board, right? The scares are in service of 
themes as opposed to its point being to scare you. Mm. Let's say even if we don't make the episodes, most weeks we have films that we, at least let's say every other week, because we have the comic stuff as well. When I text him and said, have you seen it yet? My impatience to hear what he thought about this film afterwards <laughs> was greater than almost any film that we've done for this podcast. There was no unnecessary brutality. This wasn't a slasher film. It wasn't like in Evil Dead Rise. It balances the familial drama. Sophie Wilde's character, Mia, her mum's recently deceased. She's questioning whether it was suicide or was accidental overdose. And she feels like her father has hidden things from her. The same with uh, Miranda Otto's character, Sue, who has a son and daughter in the film. Not hers, but the but the, the character. You always have when you were a kid. It's not even like your parents get on that well, but you're so intertwined with another family that you feel like a part of it and vice versa. Yeah. Like I have a friend called Paul and my nan used to call him, oh, he's your Jamie. Because my cousin had a friend called Jamie that had been grown up with our family. So the way that this stays, that modern family and the trust and the regret and the remorse and the resentment of all that, that that person could piss you so much you hate them for three months, but then you always end up coming back together. Yeah. And the complications of that were portrayed. This could have been just a perfect familial drama if you took the supernatural out of it. And I wanted to make a very specific point because I've seen two films that have done this recently, uh, this and Barbie, whereby we have... Zoe Tarakas and we had Harry Neff in Barbie, who was male transitioned to female. So the opposite way around, if I've got the first one wrong. They do not, in either of these films, make a point of it. These are just actors playing a role in the way that Harry Neff was, or Hari or Hurry Neff was playing a female in Barbie. They don't play it for impact, just a, a female Barbie. And in the way that Zoe Tarakis was a male in Talk To Me, they don't make an issue of it. It's simply a male actor playing a male role. And I can't give plaudits enough for that because this is what we need. It has been far too long that Hollywood have made a point of making trans actors a gimmick and almost mm -hmm. for, the, for their own... The path themselves in the back, like kind of like... Exactly, yeah for their own almost like the gentrification of trans and we're a part of it sort of thing yeah totally i didn't even know that dude i which which character in talk to me is it uh, it's one of the abos not the big abo but the shorter ones the short and stocky okay, one okay okay yeah that was a great performance oh brilliant brilliant that, that was great acting i thought that felt real to me those two the way they interacted and like how they were the sort of leaders but also like very snarky and like kind of yeah. shit talking people and i just thought it was great yeah. it was like it, it rang very true to me and also because when you're on the edge of that kind of high school echelons of popularity there was the the, the performative image of it in the big party but then also all these people have in that group have their own dissidents they have their own hierarchy of power as well within it and when it narrowed from the big party to the little party, and the amount of times that I've been at after parties in my heyday in the noughties where 
you know, there was almost kind of like local celebrities, if you know what I mean, because they were the yeah. best looking. They always they're always in the right places. You end up in a house party with them, and then you realize, oh shit, these people just look like the rest of us people that aren't as good looking. <laughs> <laughs> like they have their same struggles. Like it's and I like the way that when it was localized, and in actual fact, in the same way that it was quite invitational to the other characters. You know, you're here with us, let's just fucking get on with it and have a blast. When the first horrific turn occurred, the first horrific twist occurred, it was almost like a drug, wasn't it? It was like they were just yeah. doing like lines of coke and they were just passing around the coke. And then as, apparent, as opposed to it being like a one and done at a party to show it and then take it home. So basically yeah. that there was a, a literal hand that's come from a, yeah. like a mystic kind of thing. And it's been concealed in porcelain. And if you hold it and you say, talk to me, it becomes an image of a, a specter of of a dead person. Mm -hmm. And then if you say, what do they say? Like, uh, I allow you in or something like that. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, and then you become possessed, but you can only do it for 90 seconds, so otherwise bad things happen, right? And Mia, the main character, when her best friend's younger brother, who's just like, well, if you don't take me along to the party, then I'm going to tell your mother that of the shit that I know. So he gets tagged yeah. along and, he, and then they've all done it. And there's this great montage, just like a training montage in a Rocky film of them all doing it. It's quite comedic in the way that it's slotted yeah. together and they're all yeah. doing it. And then it goes like, shit, oh, everybody likes sitting back, like having a drink, like, wow, this is wild. And the little boy comes up, well, not little boy, he's like 12 or like 13, 14. And he goes, yeah. I want to go. And his sister's like, no fucking way. Yeah. So they say, okay, you can't do it for 90 seconds, but we'll allow you to do it for, for 50. But the twist on it is the demons, and this is spoiler alert, by the way. I mean, actually, this is a question for you, but the demon that at least presents itself is Mia's mother, who may or may not have committed suicide. So she's like, no, keep him on, keep him on, keep him on. And they're like, oh, shit, it's gone on too long. So because he's younger, he's weaker, uh, you know, because you are, you're, you're emotionally and socially weaker when you're, when you're younger. And yeah, 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 it's literally all hell breaks loose. The question to come from that, Tim, is yeah. do you think the vision of, of Mia's mother was at all genuine or was it contemporaneously genuine, but it was also evil because she is in the bounds of hell or whatever that realm is called in this film? Or do you think it was completely a veal, a shroud worn by the evil to trick them? You see, this is a great question because the, the film does not answer the question. It poses. I love that about it. I love it about it. I think that it is not genuinely her. I think, I, I thought, I think that it was a veiled demon. I thought it was a veiled demon the entire time. I didn't catch this. I think there's something I missed in the beginning because I caught it later on where somebody reminded some one other character that, hey, the, one of the characters, says, I heard that the ghost or whatever can take any form. And so I guess they must have said that in the beginning and I missed wow. it. But I felt like the whole time it was a shrouded um, demon. Now, on the other hand, I don't know whether each person who grabs the hand gets a unique entry from a different spirit? I guess, yes. And that particular one just is able to hold on. The brother holds onto the hand too long, so that one stays. You know what I mean? But I thought it was like a truly an evil demon that was manipulating everyone. 
Oh, good grief. There's so many. When I saw this, I thought to myself, I don't know how much there is to talk about because it's just a fucking good film. Mm-hmm. But hearing you speak, I'm just filled with questions or things that I've noticed. And the first thing is that there was no explanation to the MacGuffin. There was no explanation to the hand. And not most bad, not bad, let's say lesser adopted stories would have made this two hours and there would have been a flashback scene and they would have gone and found the guy that sold them the, the Mowgli to find out how mm-hmm. to defeat the Gremlins. And there would have been that whole, but it just trusted the audience. Yep, this is it. We don't need to give it a backstory. And in actual fact, that just added to this the first minute to the 90th minute, this tension stack that just continued to grow. And it wasn't the, please just look around the corner, please just open the cupboard. It was because you didn't know the reasons why. You didn't know what the parameters were for the evil. You didn't know whether it could cross into the physical, whether it was metaphysical, whether it was just spiritual, whether it was just demonic. And because of that, you never knew what the extents of the power was. There's a part of the film where, let me see if I can find the young man's name. Well, there's only one here without a picture, so I imagine it's Riley, Joe Bird. And he's the one that holds on to it too long because Mia wants to speak to her mum longer and he becomes possessed. And the only real visceral violence is when the demon is in control of him and he completely makes him self-harm. He's smashing his head. Oh, wow. It was... It was truly horrific. And there's a scene whereby Mia realises that she has a untold link to it beyond anybody else. She realises she has to go into the thing. And it's not like, I don't want to give the wrong impression because it's what makes it work so well, that she doesn't then go into like this dream world, into the quantum realm to solve the problem. Yeah. But she gets a she goes into it and there's this little girl. And instead of oh my god, I've got tingles, instead of me saying, I allow you in, or whatever it is, the little girl says, I allow you in. And that scene, like I can't visualize it because it was edited so well. Shit. This film could be the start if it's done in any way, shape, or form close to the brilliance of this. This is almost a like solar center to yeah, a, yeah, whole, yeah. a whole expansion and the beauty of it as well it doesn't try and solve the problems for you it, like what we said with bodies 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 with gen z and that sort of thing it felt like it was invitational we were allowed mm-hmm. into the situation and we had the same confusion and the same doubt and the same call to action that the characters did the ending Oh my word. Oh my word. Oh my word. So perfect. It's perfect. It's perfect. Because I'm thinking there is gonna have to be like an end scene where there where there is like a, a like a spectral or demonic confrontation direct, but it's not. She is taking the little brother and he's wheeling who is fucked up like his yeah. face is fucked does he pull his eye out or do they manage this i think he pulls he, his eye out. i think they save it he attempts to during when he's possessed but i think yeah. they end up oh, like knocking wow. his hand away from his face but yeah it was fucking brutal and he is fucked up usa do you know what i mean like oh he, it, amir thinks that the only way to end his suffering 
which calls back to the opening scene with the kangaroo that's hit by a car and she oh, can't man. and she oh, can't yeah. put the kangaroo out of its misery in the very opening scene. But now she has to put him out of his misery, and that's a way to make his soul rest and take him out of the hands of the demonic entities. Oh my word. She's pushing him to the freeway, and the young man's sister is chasing. And you don't really see what happens. You just hear the commotion of a vehicular uh, incident. And you see her walking away in shock. But then it goes black and you see her hand and her hand's bent out of shape. And it becomes very clear that she was pushed away from maybe the wheelchair that was... And she's the one that's been thrown into traffic. And in actual fact, she is the one that's deceased. And then very quickly... It does not fuck about. And this, again, is just in tribute to how well this film is executed. It doesn't give you long enough to pause until she sees the hand that they've been using in the very distant foreground, and she's the background. And then all of a sudden, she gets pulled into another teenager's party as the deceased entity. And it does not let you think about it long enough before it fades to black, and that's the end of the film. Totally. Oh, my God, Tim, it was yeah. just so... And this, I think this is what you get from having two YouTubers. Do you know what I mean? Because of that, it's not like instant gratification in a in a slight to the process, but it is the acquirement of knowledge of how to get instantaneous effects from how to produce a film. Yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah. It was a perfect ending. Perfect. And it raises lots of questions about what was really on the other side. Yeah, yeah. Are there occasionally, because she's obviously like not a demonic figure. So like in that montage where they're all like getting high off of holding a hand and being possessed, there's got to be just puzzled. And and, and it it harkens back to like how puzzled the spirits are when they appear. Like they're as shocked as like the living kid is to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that first woman, she's just like, what the fuck? When she's all fucked up, like the first one that shows up, she's yeah, yeah, you can tell yeah. she's as puzzled as as the kid is. And so you can see like that all it's a callback to all that. It's very, 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 very well done. Yeah, so excellent. You're just excellent. Here's the benchmark of a film. If you're more excited after watching it than before it, that's a good film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I really have no complaint, like I have nothing to like to critique. No, I don't. Really at all. all. No. Every story beat works. There's nothing wasted. Every choice works. You know? It's great. And the acting is superb. It was economic as well, wasn't it? It felt like a longer film than it was. Yeah. Would you want to see another film in this? Hell yeah, dude. I would definitely see another film in this. I mean, I'd be worried that it wouldn't be as good, but Mm. we always have this one. There's something to be said for making a movie as scary as this one was without mm. jump scares. Like that is a real achievement. There's no fake scares in this. It's like mm. real, true, hor- like horror. It's horrible what happens. And there's no monster. Yeah. I mean, at one point towards the end, there was definitely a scene where you could sort of quick pro quo a monster. Yeah. But even then you kind of look at Mia's character and you go, is she just too fucked up by what she's seen and has she actually killed her father? Yeah, right. Yeah. Totally. And the, and there is that edge of uncertainty throughout the film that because it doesn't reveal everything, because it's not in a rush to explain everything, 
that uncertainty is what keeps this film like buoyed the whole and when I say like the whole way through I mean every minute of it there is no minute whereby it is not purposefully executed and it isn't reliant that's what I would say the film isn't reliant I'd love to that you're talking about earlier about how petty grievances and hierarchies amongst the kids it felt in that way just like bodies 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 were like so much of the propulsion of the movie is about intergroup conflicts same mm -hmm. here it's like the little boy like he sees this the kid who ultimately gets fucked badly part of it is like he sees these other kids like these bigger kids doing it and mm -hmm. like it looks so fun but also it's like i i need to prove myself also he plays off of his other friend who's like kind of a dick to him the whole time and he like mm -hmm. wants to like show how he's a big kid too he can mm -hmm. handle it there's all sorts of little motivations that ring so true to real yeah. life and when he had his closest friend in the opening scene and he's trying to get him to smoke, he's like, go on, just fucking smoke for God's sake. What's it going to do yeah. to you? I mean, does it even give you cancer the first time you do it? And he's like, no, no. And then Mia picks him up because his sister's forgotten. So you establish yeah. that relationship immediately. And at that point, you see that he isn't going to be peer pressured. And he'd rather look foolish in front of his friend, his best friend, yeah. possibly his only friend. But then when he's with the cooler older kids and let's not yeah. fuck about the are these are and it's not the hollywood cool kids where everyone's beautiful it's not the cool kids in real life are the ones that have the most experience at that age whether they yeah. go to parties whether they drink whether they smoke whether they do drugs whether they've had sex yeah and that generally isn't the best looking people it is the coolest group do you know what i mean yeah. like yeah. there's yeah. almost those well, let's say there's always two con conflicting engagements and the cool kids, the best looking ones are probably usually more, and, and again, stereotyping, but they're the they're prim and proper, best looking, most successful, but then you have the actual cool kids. And yeah. when he's introduced to that, he's like, I want to do it. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, yeah. A, it's a wonderful film. And so it's a very linear story, but at the same time, it is so, it has a multiplexity to it that is. Yeah. And without all the fancy words and all the constructive criticism and everything, I just fucking loved it. Yeah, I loved it's a it. Great time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, it is a great time. Yeah. So to wrap it up, Tim, um, there's no point in asking us whether or not we'd recommend somebody to go to see this because that's our barometer as usual for the new guests we yeah. say. You can't seven out of 10 go to watch something. So the only barometer we do is would you recommend somebody see it or not? So I think unanimously we would say oh, yeah. go and watch it and as soon as possible. However, totally. Tim, I have said earlier in this episode that it is in my current top three films. Now I'm not going to be as garrulous as to ask you if it's in your top three. However, come March next year when we're doing our top 20 films of the Oscar period. <laughs> <laughs> Can you see this being in your top 20? And where currently would you expect it to be? Oh, I could easily see it in my top 20. I would say right now, I'd have to think about it. I don't remember. I, I mean, I have to go through my list and just see what I've seen. But it strikes me right now, it's certainly in the top five. I, I yeah. really can't think of anything I liked better this year i don't think but i again i'd have to think about it. i mean it's been like we're, we're in july now so i'm not sure but yeah it's it definitely stands out as one of the best movies of the year by far 
Yeah, and let's face it, I didn't at this point of last year. I well, let's even say at Christmas time of last year, I didn't know that Afterson and Two Leslie were even films. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right, right, right. <laughs> but yeah, I'm. I think this fills that bodies, 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 that little slot. Yep, yep. Oh, this film was on the front cover of Fangoria this week. Oh, okay. And they chose the cover image was a very, very monumental, but but also momentary image. And they showed on the front cover when the young man was being tortured and pulled apart with all the hands over him. Oh, yeah. It's fucking ghastly, dude. Oh, that that was like, that that was visceral. Uh, So next week, we're back with All-Star Superman, Tim. That's right. I started it. Have you? Yeah. The art's amazing. I don't know about the story yet, but it's be- it looks beautiful. I have not started it yet. I'm only an issue in. I started yesterday. Yeah, yeah. Uh, have you been listening or watching? Any- well, listening. Have you been uh, reading or watching anything of note in the last couple of weeks? No, not, not anything beyond what we've talked about. Um, I did start in on the remaining Swamp Thing issues, but I have to reread those when we're closer because I've already like, they're running together for me. So, but it's, it's, yeah, yeah. it's trickier. I, I felt like it's a little bit trickier than the second third of the, uh, of the Swamp yeah, Thing. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not, I, I, I'm not sure exactly what's happening, but as we've talked about, like Elmore can do that too. And you just got to like, hold on until, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. until it comes together. Yeah, just allow it. Allow it. Yeah. Allow it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, yeah. just uh, All-Star Superman, which looks amazing. Beautifully colored, too. It's really very lo- like lovely mm-hmm. looking. Yeah. Are you, um, how are you reading it? What's the, what's the format? I have the deluxe hardcover. So there's the right. 12, I think it's 12 issues. And then there's yeah, some yeah. material in the back. But yeah, um, I got that at like my LCS for uh, during the fifty percent off sale. So I I had to tread the paperback. It's duplicative, but I just gave that to somebody else, and I'm keeping the deluxe. So that's yeah. my format. Um, I've been going through my Ecstatics omnibus, which is uh, Milligan and Allred. Mm-hmm. I'm actually wearing a Madman T-shirt at the moment. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So, and. <sighs> It starts off as X-Force, like a, a reinvigoration of the X-Force team, and then it becomes su- such a perversion of the traditional team that it then becomes ecstatics. And I'm probably, I would say, 60 to 65% through an omnibus that is probably three inches, so it's about a 1,000 pages. I would say not so much the last 15%, but I would say the first half, uh, so the, the lion's share of what I've read, I started to say, oh, is this as good as Remender's X-Force? Is this as good as, say, Charles Stool's Astonishing X-Men? Is this mm-hmm. as good as uh, Hickman's Hox Pox, the original one? I've got past the halfway point, and maybe it was withering with ideas, so I don't know if it will still be in that conversation. But it's this great both parody and realisation of if you had an age where mutants have been around for 30 years, they are going to be pop culture icons. And you're not paid by anybody to risk your life. 
So it's about the social media aspect. And with in mind, this was early noughties, so it was the very early clasp of that environment, things like yeah. TMZ and whatnot. And it portrays it as the egocentric and tragic nature of that, where you think it's entirely parody, but it's not. It's actually quite an introspective um, dissection of celebrity. They're very prudent with the extents of the missions that they go on by their production manager. And you have Dupe, which is like a Slimer kind of person that Mm -hmm. follows them around with a camcorder and records everything. They're very prudent with nobody can survive this. So the team goes through not constant iteration because you need to connect with some mainstays, but it is brutally honest about how dangerous being an an X-Man is. Mm. And, you know, it doesn't take too long for it to be an entirely new team. I thought it was going to be X-Men for jokes, but it's not actually. It's probably the most visceral X-Men story you can read. It's not Wolverine Mm. staring at a fucking photograph for a dead Jean Grey. Do you know what I mean? Like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and the convers- it is conversationally accurate. Like, I mean, a lot like we were talking about, talk to me. Very, very good read, I would say. Yeah, pick it up, read it. Cool, okay, right on. So would you like to say goodbye to Brussels, to Ashburn? Council Bluffs. Council Ashburn. Oh, Council Bluffs has disappeared, so fuck that guy. Oh, man. <laughs> Although, uh, we've had another one, and that is Boardman. O-R, what's O-R? Oregon. Oregon. Yeah, so Boardman O-R, who has listened again, like I think they just fell asleep with it. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you very much for listening to us, Brussels and Ashburn. Ashburn, yeah. And everybody else, if this is your first time listening to us, thank you very much. And thank you for listening to us to the end. And thank you for listening to the end. Tim? Would you like to say goodbye? Yeah, dude, it's goodbye. And, you know, listeners, just give us a few listens and you can also get shouted out by your hometown. So just keep that in mind. Hundy pundy. And that leaves me off of your regular co-hosting team, Matt. And thank you very much for listening to us. As always, that leaves me one more thing to say. We have been, and this is the end. I didn't even think about that outro when we got the name, but it works so well. Yeah, it does. It does. <laughs>